Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. I don't know how many of you had a chance to look at the sign as you drove by this week, but I, there's, there's a message on there, and when, it, when Sister Jenny put it up there, I thought, oh, I hope it doesn't cause any problems where people might get the wrong idea. But if you had a chance to read it, the question is for this morning is, where is God when it hurts? That is a question of our generation. And, um, and I don't know why I, I feel so focused on this because I anticipate uh, not only what's going to happen in the future for the church, but what is already happening in the private lives of many of the people in our congregation and the questions that they're afraid to ask because they, it may look like they have no faith. Where is God when it hurts? So let me go back to the foundation. The year is 605 B.C. Israel, just like it has throughout its past, especially in the Old Testament, has turned its back on God. They went back and followed Baal and Ashtoreth and the gods of the, of the heathens. And God has sent his prophets, Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jeremiah. He's tried to persuade them to turn back off this path of wickedness and once again walk with him. He saw what was coming upon the earth and he tried to warn them through his prophets. Judgment was ahead and he pleaded with his people to change. But they willfully refused. Not only did they refuse, but they punished and killed the messengers that were sent to them. God caused a king named Nebuchadnezzar to rise up who ruled a very great nation to the north of Israel. He moved down from the north and he completely destroyed the nation of Israel. When it was all done, he decided just to leave a few people behind to let them work the land. All others that were not destroyed, those surviving Jews, were taken into captivity to be servants of a heathen nation. But that brings me to what I want to focus on this morning. It revolves about, around uh, four Hebrew children. Now when I say children, the older I get, the age of children goes higher. So to me, if, you, if the teens were in here, and they are. Don't take this wrong. Well, if you're under 18, you're children. <laughs> These, these, these Hebrew children, these males, were chosen by Nebuchadnezzar to be instructed and trained in the way of Babylon. And these four boys, I would say they're probably about 15, maybe 16. Uh, their names were Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. He was, Nebuchadnezzar was going to assimilate the choices of these young men, but the Bible focuses just on these four because there's a reason these four stand out in history 
because of an action that they performed amidst the suffering and tribulation in their life. They were going to be placed in positions of leadership because he figured if he could get the Hebrew children to assimilate into Babylonian culture, he could persuade the entire nation of Israel to assimilate. To them it was a blessing in the sense that they didn't suffer the things that others suffered of their people, but yet it was a curse because Babylon required that they changed their identity. They first changed their name. They changed Daniel's name to Belteshazzar. Hananiah's name they changed to Shadrach. Michelle's name was changed to Meshach, and Azariah's name was changed to Abednego. Isn't it strange that we don't remember their Hebrew names, but we remember their Babylonian names? Things in their life had radically changed. The sins of Israel had gone on long before these boys were born. They probably didn't even play a part in it at that age. But here they were, they were tossed into the cauldron of tribulation because of others' actions. For them, everything was changing. They changed their name, they changed their clothing, they tried to change the food that they ate, and then they changed their identity. Because these boys were now going to be made eunuchs. You know, Isaiah warned Israel that this was going to happen. He said in Isaiah, 2 Kings 20, 16 to 18, Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left says the Lord, and some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, whom will be born to you will be taken away, and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Now, I think it means a lot to especially men, and especially Hebrew men, that they need to have seed to carry on the name for a man in the Hebrew culture, when a male child was born, it was a time of rejoicing. The name would be carried on. But not only were their names changed and their clothing changed and their identity changed, but they were, what was taken away from them was the possibility to reproduce, to have a, a normal family. There was one person out of the four that seemed to be the leader. He was the one that provided the most comfort. His name was Daniel. He was the encourager. He was the one that seemed to have the strongest faith. And as time went, it seems everything changed overnight. In our lives, things happen that way as well, not by our own choosing. It might not have been anything we were responsible, circumstances that were beyond our control. Then we find our own selves 
We become overwhelmed with the change that's taking place in our lives. Our identity is starting to change. Our future is radically changed. And all of these things start to change our lives, these circumstances that were beyond our control. It could be a diagnosis that affects not only our bodies, but our location. It might even affect your appearance and your identity and your ability to exert the freedom that you were used to experiencing. That's especially hard when you're young. You've really never had a time or opportunity to shape your own goals in life before the playing field changes, and that was the case with these three Hebrew children. As they begin to face these changes in their life, God blesses them and they increase in wisdom and knowledge and that's something that God gave them. You know, it was so evident that Nebuchadnezzar saw it that the Hebrew children above all the others seemed to become more knowledgeable and wise than his own. I want to tell you, you want knowledge, you want wisdom, you will receive it in the trial of your faith because your eyes can see things when the mask of vanity is removed and you're facing the reality of your weaknesses. That's what the suffering of trials will do. Trials will open up your perspectives of who you really are as you did not see it when life was so speedily passing by. And then it happened, the mother of all trials. Nebuchadnezzar got this idea in his mind that he was going to build a statue of himself that was going to be more beautiful and more glorious than anything that had ever been built before. He was going to gather the people of his nation, everyone that he could, especially those that were in leadership, he was going to declare himself as God and require all of those in his kingdom to worship, to worship this image. There were no exceptions. If anyone failed to do this or they would not worship the image, they would be cast alive into a burning, fiery furnace. Now put yourself in those four young men's lives. Can you imagine your dilemma? I have to point out to these young people, to their benefit, they must have had godly parents. Because something was planted deep inside their soul that could not, would not allow them to assimilate into idolatry. You know, as parents... Sometimes we think that our kids haven't picked up anything of what we said. It seems that they're just got a completely different mind than what we do. And then all of a sudden, when troubles come, all of those things that you've planted, those seeds that you've planted in their mind and their heart, they seem to spring forth because when the sun of adversity shines upon the seed of decay, all of a sudden we have growth and sprouting. But you cannot have growth without the sun of adversity, 
without the fire of adversity. And I've told the church a number of times that we should do as First Peter said, think it not strange the fiery trial of your faith as though some strange thing happened. We need the heat of trial to cause us to blossom. You know, the world can take away, and it's trying to take away our liberty. Anyone that's lived any length of time have saw the decline of, of God in our culture. They've taken it from our schools, from our courthouses, even from the media. It's, it's almost humorous to say we don't even want to mention certain words anymore. But the one thing that we can never allow them to steal from our lives is our relationship with our Heavenly Father and our identity as Christians. You can change what you call us. You can try to dress us in the way of the world. You may even affect us physically, but you cannot change who we belong to. We belong to God. We are called by his name. We are purchased with his blood. We are not for sale. However, now the dilemma lies in the fact that am I willing to go to the fiery furnace for my identity in Christ? And that's a question that if you have not been asked yet, you will be. Are you willing to go to a place in your life where there is a decision to be made that would affect you adversely. Nebuchadnezzar knew that something was happening amongst these Hebrews in Babylon. The scripture tells us they were, they were starting to cry out to God for deliverance. And he knew he had to do something rather quickly to, to the people of Israel to stop the growth of the revival that was starting to happen. And he realized if he could get them to worship another god, that would break the relationship that they were developing with the God of Israel. I have to ask you a question. I, I don't really know what's going on in your particular life at this juncture of time. I don't know what changes that you've been forced to accept. It might have been the loss of someone that you love very dearly. It could be the pain that's racking your body even while I'm talking to you. This list could go on and on and each one would have their own particular one to bring forth. But let me ask you this question. Have you made that decision that you will go on to do what's right and make the best decision in your relationship as concerning God no matter what others tell you to do or what comes your way? Because the, the days come that the statue's been set up. The people are gathering. The instruments are playing. Music is a very important part of persuasion. Music is powerful. You may not think it is, but it affects the psyche of the mind. And Satan knows 
how to use music. They've gathered the instruments, the images standing, the right songs are singing. There's something in the picture that's missing. Daniel. Where's Daniel? Or should I say Belshazzar? He's the one that's kept the group together. But nowhere in the events that we read in Daniel, the third chapter, do we find mention of him. Now, I'm going to hypothesize, and your view could be as good as mine, and this is mine. They look at each other, and they realize that they're on their own. Daniel, the encourager, Daniel, the leader, he's not there, and now... The music stopped and everyone is bowing down. I guess the the moral to the story is every one of us will find a day in our lives that we will stand alone. And we ourselves will have to make a decision that will affect the rest of our lives. Of course, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the decision had already been made a long time ago. The message that they would tell you this morning, and they still do through their testimony, is God's law trumps man's law. God is in charge, and although he's allowed man to rule, God is the ultimate authority. And sometimes we have to make decisions that will affect relationships in our own lives. It will affect people that are around us. Do you remember the story of Elijah and his servant Gehazi? Do you remember the Armenians? They'd come against them and surrounded the little home where they were intent upon destroying them. They, were, they had multitudes of chariots just against two individuals, Elijah and his servant. So many chariots, so many horsemen just to destroy two individuals. Well, the servant of Elijah, just like we would, he looks around and he sees how insurmountable the odds were. And he looks at Elijah and he said, what are we going to do? And then these words are printed in Scripture for our admonition because sometimes we're going to be in the same place as these two are. The odds are going to be against us. There's no possibility that we can make it through the situation. And I want to read the words that Elijah said to Gehazi. Do not be afraid. Elijah answered, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man. And he saw that the hills were full of horses, chariots of fire all around Elisha. You know, as a pastor, 
And as a saint of God, if I could pray one prayer for you, and that was the only prayer I could pray, I would pray that in the midst of your tribulation, that God sometimes open up your eyes so that you can see what really is present, not what you perceive through your physical senses. Because greater are those that are with the church than those that are against the church. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Do not be afraid. God didn't give you that spirit of fear, but he gave you a spirit of power and a sound mind. Even if your support person isn't there, you still got to do what's right. The captain of the Lord's army, the captain of the Lord's host, he's there. You can trust and be assured that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And when he says, I am with you always, you can rest assured that he will be with you always. Every situation, every minute, every trial, every struggle. He'll catch every tear. He'll hold you up when you can't walk. He'll let the sun shine on you in the darkness of your life. You are never, ever alone. So now you're thinking, what's going to happen to these boys now? Music stopped. Can you see them all and hear the sound of all the robes as they, people, multitudes, thousands upon, maybe hundreds of thousands of people are kneeling down. You can hear the rustling of their garments and as they're called to worship. Well, everyone's doing exactly as they were expected to do before the statue. That is all except three, only three. Can you see them? They're, they're sticking out like sore thumbs. You can't help but see them. They're, they're standing out in defiance to the pressures of acceptance and approval from a kingdom that is void of God. What kind of a testimony do you th- think took place in heaven? As God stood in heaven and looked down and the angels of God surrounded the scene and he saw three that stood for his name amidst the multitude. What glory was generated through their actions? You know, we can, don't take this wrong, we can all come and give glory to God when we've got a full meal inside and a warm house to live in, and money in the bank, and a car to drive. But really, the true glory that comes from your life is when you're standing when everyone else is kneeling, when you're standing for truth and you're living for God, even when it's not conducive. These three men lost everything except one thing, their integrity their spiritual integrity, and their faith in God. Well, the king is flabbergasted. What do you mean they will not bow? Don't you boys know what I've done for you? 
Can't you see all the things that I provided for you? No, king. All I see is what you've done to us. I'll give you one last chance to conform. Oh, the world is so kind. Isn't that nice? I'll give you another chance to bow down and worship the idol that I've created and turn your back on God. You know what the world has found out? That martyrs only fire up the weak to excel. Martyrs only encourage the fearful. Now, it's interesting to see how they answer the king in Daniel, the third chapter, verse 13. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Notice here again, it doesn't mention Daniel. And I've often thought about that. I don't know if you have, but I've often thought about it. Where is Daniel? Well, he's, got to, he's praying on his knees because he's not standing. Daniel is not there. So, so he was, these, these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the sither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music. If you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue from my hand? That's the challenge of Satan to you. What God is going to deliver you from my hand? But look at their answer. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But notice this. And I want you to recognize what they're saying. But if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Can you say that? If God... God can deliver me. But even if he does not deliver me, I will not compromise on my faith. God can heal me. But if he chooses not to heal me, I will not compromise on my faith. Well, he was, he was really upset. He commanded the bravest of his soldiers to take these boys and to bind them up. And he commanded the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than it had ever been heated. 
Really, do you really need to heat it seven times hotter than it ever was heated? Wouldn't a thousand degrees be enough to kill you in the fire? You want it 7,000? Probably melt glass in it. Why did he have to heat it seven times hotter? Intimidation. Intimidation. As they carried these men to the fire, those that carried their bodies that were bound were consumed by the fire because of its heat before they even reached the furnace. They did get cast down into the furnace. Let me ask you a question. Did these three Hebrew children have a fear of death? Now, you'd like to say no, they weren't afraid of death. Ah, I don't know if I've ever met a person that says that they were not, didn't share some uh, anxiety about death because no one's ever experienced it. They, of course they had some fear. But what helped them to overcome their fear was the trust that they had in the one that they served. The one thing that trumps fear is faith. He's able to keep me. It's not a sin for you to have the fear, but your faith has to overshadow the fear. They realized that outside themselves, they had no external support. Outside of God, there was nothing that could deliver them at that point from Nebuchadnezzar's hand. What about any encouragement? There were no, as they were on their way to the furnace, there were no words of encouragement by any supporters. There were no accolades. No one yelled out, I'll pray for you. No one came to visit. No one sent a card. Pastor didn't even call. Daniel couldn't be found. But it did not matter. Because faith has legs. And it walks through the valley of the shadow of death and it fears no evil because the Lord is with them. If you're, if you're relying on people for your support in a fiery trial, friend, that's a weak crutch. But if you're trusting in God as your strength and you're leaning upon his arm and shoulder, his right arm of strength, you can make it through because crutches break. People fail to do oftentimes what they should. And if you're trusting in humanity, you're going to be strongly disappointed. I also believe that God gave them extra strength. He gave them extra unction to make that long walk to a very possibly terribly end. Can I be honest with you? I've thought of what I would do if I were them. And I, I challenge you this morning as you're sitting here and your mind's wandering around. If there are only three of us here and we had to make a decision of whether just all we'd have to do is just bow down, we could just mumble something else. We could say, well, I'll just, I'll just bow down and mumble something and they'll think I'm praying. And I can spare my life and I can go on with my happy life. All I have to do is just make a, a token show. 
or if because if I stand, I will lose my life. I've oftentimes said, Lord, it would be so easy just to kneel and say, hey, let's ask God for forgiveness. Oh, God, I'm sorry. And they could have probably did that. But I believe that God gives the strength you need when you need it. I truly believe that when this happened, that God anointed their minds and fired up their hearts. I can see that when they spoke to Nebuchadnezzar. It's like they're preaching a message to the person that's most powerful on the face of the earth. They are not afraid because God anointed them. So don't try to make a decision about something that's not happened yet. God will give you what you need at the moment that you face it. There they are in the furnace. Shadrach, Shedza, Meshach. Did you bring a coat? It's a little chilly in the furnace. It could be. And hey, listen, why not? It could have been cooler in the furnace than it was on the outside. We don't know. All it says is that they were walking around inside the furnace in the heat. And then all of a sudden, they bumped into somebody else. It was the fourth person. And who do you think that was? I think it was God in manifesting himself in a human form. So the one, they hadn't seen him previously, but I think he was standing there not just in the furnace, but I think he was standing there when they stood before Nebuchadnezzar. I think he was standing next to them when they stood when everyone else knelt. But he revealed himself in the midst of the fire. Friend, you may think that you're walking alone and it's dark at night and you're all afraid, but the same God that's going to deliver you from the fire is standing by your bedside when you're suffering and when you're praying. He's the same God that's walking through the trial with you. But I, I want to say this. He, in Scripture, over and over again, it's in the midst of the hottest, most terrible time of your life that you have the deepest revelations of God. And I, I know we've been talking about this on Wednesday night, but they had, they had never talked to him in this way before. Just like Job had never talked to God in the same manner that he had except after he'd suffered all the loss of the things that he possessed. You want to have a relationship with God that's intimate and divine and revealing. Well, friend, that's the kind of relationship you're only going to get in the furnace of trial. So be careful when you're praying, God, I want to see you in a way I've never seen you, because God says, all right, I will take you to the furnace, and there you will see my power of deliverance. What was meant to kill them has now only allowed them to see the master of their life in a way that they have never, ever seen him before. That's why the person that suffers the most sometimes has the sweetest and most holy spirit. There's a person, and I'm not going to point it out, in this church that I so ultimately respect 
my hero, and I'm not going to mention her because it would only be embarrassing, but her smile amidst her struggle encourages my faith. Sometimes not only are you affected by that revelation, but the change that it makes on your life affects others that are around you that see it. No person in Babylon would have ever seen this manifestation if it wouldn't have been for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But everyone that day saw the fourth man in the furnace because Nebuchadnezzar says, did we not cast in three? But now I see four. You want to let people see God in your life, be allowed to go to the furnace and walk in the furnace because they'll see Christ in your circumstance. This is the message. This is not an advertisement. And forgive me if it sounds like it, but this is just the message that God has laid on my heart for this generation. In the book that I'm working on, this this message is reiterated over and over again. God is able. Prepare the people because some are going to face adversity. The world is changing. I've sent prophets to the United States and to the world. I've told them to repent. I've given them a space to repent. But judgment's coming. There's going to be a time that they're going to have to lean on me. I guess to sum it up, it's like that's why people who have been in the furnace will always be different after that divine epiphany of God's appearance in their tribulation. They're never the same again. There's something, I am really going to watch the clock and I still got lots of time here, but I'm always so cautious about it. I can, have, can you agree with me? Have you ever walked up to somebody you've never met before and you're looking in their eyes and you can say there's a depth here in their relationship with God. There's something about their spirit and about the person, I don't know anything about them, but then I say, they've experienced pain. They have experienced tribulation because the true glow of God's spirit comes from the purification fires of trial. The fragrance of victory is like a a, a perfume upon the saint of the faithful, the faithful saint. We can dress right. We can do everything right. But the things that affect the people the most are the fragrance of God's spirit through our life. You know, I'll I'll say this too. It's, It's not that epiphany in your life and that darkness of your trial It may not be a visible appearance like the three Hebrew children had. I can't always say that sometime God will just appear and you'll see him. But he appears in so many different ways. But it will be a life-changing moment where all of a sudden it snaps inside and you feel God's presence all around you. I remember um, back in 1980-83, and I've shared the story, but I think it's really appropriate because it's a perfect example of what I'm trying to say. 
I'm not going to tell the whole story, just a portion of it, a small portion of it. I went in to have what I thought was a planter's wart removed. The dermatologist took it out and he says, you need to see someone else, you need to see a specialist. And um, then they found out it wasn't, it wasn't just a planter's wart, it was a sarcoid tumor. And uh, my lungs were, my lower lungs were just covered with these, these little sarcoid things. And they were growing, so they, they, of course, I'm not going to get into treatment or anything like that. I'm pastoring in Plymouth at the time. And Brother Rob, I'm, it's, it's Saturday night. I'm looking for, over my message on Sunday morning, and it was about healing. Matter of fact, it was called God the Healer. And um, I looked at the book and I said, uh, my family gone to bed and I had a nice fire in the fireplace. I was in my, my nice recliner and I was going to ask God, well, I'm on crutches, God. Kind of stupid for me to go up there on crutches until people how God's a healer how I, I'm embarrassed to do that and uh, a voice it wasn't an external voice like booming in the room but in my mind a strong voice spoke to me in the midst of this situation and said I find that word repulsive the word afraid, I'm afraid to ask you this. He said, I find that word repulsive because it shows me your lack of faith. And you may, you may mark me off as a lunatic or crazy man, but I'll tell you, I believe the word of God and I think sometimes God speaks to you in your heart, in your mind, to the word. And Jesus talked in parables and he told me that night, he said, look at the fire in the fireplace. I just throw in a big huge log in that fireplace. He said, you know that the fire will consume that log and the heat of that fire will heat your entire home and provide warmth for your family. But when you get up in the morning, there'll be nothing left but just the ashes of what once was. And that was it. And Rob, I ended up I felt his presence so powerful that I felt prostrate on the floor. I mean, I don't know if you've ever felt that, but it was like God was in the room with me, and I was so humbled, I was so overwhelmed that I was on the floor weeping there, and I got up, and you know what I said? God, I will never change the word because of my situation. Even if I'm dealing with fear, I will always preach faith. And that's what a preacher does. Well, the, the long, long story ends, abbreviated, is I went through the treatments, and it was supposed to be a long ordeal. And I did preach on faith, on healing that morning. And I told people what was going on, but I also said there's coming a day when we're going to have a victory service and it was about three or four weeks later, 
these sarcoid things in my lungs that were, were still there, were still growing. They were taking steroids to try to keep them at bay. And one morning, this is the honest to God truth. I was working at that time and I was supposed to, I was still driving truck. And it, I'm sitting in church and I can't say a light sounded or shone or a, a, there was a boom or anything. It says, I just said it's gone. It's over. It's done. Nothing. I didn't feel electricity. And I was so certain of it that I was scheduled to be at the hospital for another x-ray the next morning. And I, I said, I don't even feel like I want to miss work. I called up the radiology department and said, can I come in early? Because this stuff is gone and I don't, I don't want to miss work. And the lady said, yeah, you know, I could hear, hear in her voice like, oh, you're one of those kooks. She humored me and I went in. And that afternoon, and Brother Kevin would relate to this, I could, he knows I'm driving down the road with that big diesel engine humming and I'm singing and whatever stuff goes on in that truck while I'm driving. But I get a phone call and it's that lady. And she said, I have the results of your... And they would do this all the time because I was going all the time to get x-rays. She says, I want to just tell you that your results are completely negative. And I said, hold on. Um, this, my flesh jumped in. I wanted to believe, but you know when God does something for us, we always have to have a certified... It has to be certified... I said, you mean negative, bad, or negative nothing? And she said, I thought you were the man that was full of faith that called me yesterday. And so the reason I said that, remember what he said? The fire of the log, which would have been this, will burn. I will have anxiety. I'll go through this whole thing, but it will ignite heat or send forth heat which will in, encourage the house. Well, the house was the church. What kind of a service do you think we had when I came back and said, hello, look at these. But I have not been healed every time. I've, there's been many more times that I've not been healed like that and God has saw me through. But, okay, i got to start wrapping this up. I don't want to wander on too far. So here they are. There's four men in the furnace. And uh, verse 24 says in Daniel 3, Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, your majesty. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. <laughs> you, got a good, you got a good definition of that one. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Oh, oh, now notice how things are changing. That's not what he said. What God will be able to deliver you from my hand? That's what he said before he threw him in. But see, their faith has changed the whole, 
the whole status of, of God in the kingdom. Now he's called the Most High God. Come out. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps and perfects and governors and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Wow, that's amazing. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So they had no idea this was going to happen. But I want to tell you, in, in sort of making a circle to the end here, how, how could that have happened any other way? Here you took King Nebuchadnezzar. He is the, the Babylonian Empire is the major empire in the world at that time that we're aware of. And God uses three young boys who stand firm on their faith and trust God to change everything in a nation or an empire. If they would have bowed down, would this have happened? How do you not know that in the thing that you're going through, even at this particular moment, how do you know, how can you assure me that your faith will not only affect you and your house, but it will affect a city or a nation. So when you're praying, Lord, deliver me from the problem, God's saying, I could, but if I deliver you in the problem, there will be a greater manifestation of my glory, and it will affect more lives. Which do you prefer? The circumstances of your life don't just affect you, friend. They affect everyone. How you face death affects those who are watching you. Now, I, can I, and I'm going to close with this little thing here. Because I've said enough. Here's my hypothesis, and it could change, because I'm, I'm only human, and I don't see everything. Where the Bible doesn't speak, it's hard for me to pick it up. I think that Daniel was there that day. I don't know how he could have got away. I think Daniel might have fell. I think Daniel may have kneeled. But let me show you what happened to him by the faith of those that he had nurtured. Not only did it affect him for a positive thing, 
but it changed his life because in the sixth chapter, three chapters later from what we just read, this happens to Daniel. He was deeply affected by these three Hebrew children's faith. I believe it changed his life even more. It says in verse 12 of Daniel 6, Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within 30 days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the lion's den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. Then answered they and said before the king that Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou wast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. Daniel had to make a choice. Do I stop praying because the king has made a decree that I can't? Or do I keep on in my relationship with God? I think, personally, that the faith of those of his friends encouraged him to stand in the next trial. Because they brought him to him. Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men assembled unto the king and said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is that no decree nor statute which the king established may be changed. Now notice how this king has been affected by Dan, the, what's happened in the past through the Babylonian Empire. This is the, the empire of the Medes and Persians, which has just overtaken the Babylonian Empire, not to confuse you. Then the king commanded, they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now notice what the king says. Now the king spoke and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually. And the King James Version says, He will deliver you. Not only has what's happened in that area of the world through the three Hebrew children affected Babylon, it's now affected the, the nation or the empire of the medieval Persian Empire. Because when people stand for truth, even amidst adversity, the word travels quickly. And so for three days, or was it overnight? It was overnight. It wasn't three days. Daniel was in the bottom of that lion's den, and the king, he stayed up all night. He was concerned about Daniel. He ran down to that next day. He got there earlier than he would have normally. He said, Daniel, has your God delivered you? And what did Daniel say? The same thing that happened for the three Hebrew children happened for Daniel. God has sent his angel and shut the mouth of the lions and they've not hurt me. He was willing to be cast into a den of lions. And then I like this. You know, God wants to make sure that the, the skeptic is satisfied because the skeptic will say, well, maybe the lions weren't hungry. <laughs> That, that, isn't that the world for you? Maybe they weren't hungry. Maybe they were drugged. No, and then they took Daniel out of the lion's den, and guess who went in? His accusers. Well, all of a sudden, the lions were hungry because it says when they hit the bottom of that pit, the lions tore them to pieces. So in closing this morning, to sum up what I've just said, God's never going to take you into a situation 
or a pit or a furnace or a trial in your life that he will not walk with you through it. He will never leave you. But I want you to, trials are bad. I, I want you to understand, and this is one of the things I've been saying on Wednesday night. When you get a trial in your life, you know that, the, like Paul said, they meant it for my hurt, but God has meant it for my good. So the things, if I interpret that correctly, the things that hurt us are the things that are good for us. You'll come out the fiery trial of your faith, which will help you come forth as his goal. And I, um, I remember, I was thinking, and I've skipped a lot of that in there. The last thing I was going to say on that sheet was, was this. I remember how excited I was. I collect my family's Bibles whenever anyone passes away, my dad, my mother, my grandmother. I ask for their Bible well. I was going through my great-great-grandmother's Bible, which I had never met her before. And I remember, I like to look at the things they got stuffed in there. Recipes, old news articles. She lived about, I, I actually went back and I, I found where she received the Bible. It was about 1856, 1860, way back there. And um, it was given to her by her father when she was a little girl. And I found this note folded in there. Well, you can imagine how old it was. And I've memorized it. I've memorized it. And you'll recognize it because somebody else said the same words. It said this. It was written in, in a pencil on, on paper, scratched on paper. I walked a road of sorrow. A road so dark with care. And I was so, so certain that no one else was there. And when I looked around about me on this road on which I trod, I saw two sets of footprints, my own and those of God. Now, we know the footprints poem, we don't know who the author is, and I thought, well, maybe it could have been her, who knows. But the, the point is, you're never walking alone even when you feel that you're alone. Be encouraged this morning. Praise God. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.